It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Chad Pergram covers Congress for Fox News, and no one knows Congress better than Chad. And welcome here, Chad. Thanks for having me, Bill. To Hammer Time. You and I go back years, but that's another story, right? Indeed. That is another story. <laughs> Fountain Square oh, in Cincinnati. My gosh. Uh, you've won an Edward R. Murrow Award and the Joan Barone Award for your reporting on Capitol Hill. I don't think anyone's more plugged in than you. And I, I just think you're really, uh, you are the person who can enlighten our audience with What's happening next? So Bob Mueller did not go quietly. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure, Chad, that he went away at all uh, pending hearings down the road. What do you think happens next? Well, he's he's kind of going to be floating around out there in his words and interpretations and how they dis- dissect this like a phantasm. I mean, it, it's going to be there you know, for a long, long time. And Democrats are going to be trying to divine what he was intending to say. You know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic freshman from New York, uh, she compared it to a, a game of taboo where you're trying to get somebody to say the word without actually saying the word. And she was implying that, of course, the word is impeachment. Here's the problem for Democrats. Uh, They want to investigate. They want to dig deeper. uh, But they are very concerned about going down that impeachment road. Why? Impeachment is all consuming. Uh, It may, in fact, lead them there, but they won't be able to focus on much of anything else. Health care or the economy or science issues, education issues, things which are bread and butter issues important to Democrats, because this will just, uh, you know, step all over that message. What I was thinking about that, Chad, is that those who won in Trump districts or those who won in swing districts by just a hair, maybe some districts in Virginia, perhaps some in California, they may not want to go there. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, Democrats have the House not because they won with liberals. It's because they won with moderate and conservatives in swing districts. And you mentioned Virginia, California. I would throw uh, New Hampshire in there. I would throw Maine in there. I would throw Iowa in there. That's a big one. Michigan, Colorado. There's a bunch of places. New Mexico. Uh, Now, the question is, let's see where the public pulse is. Right now, the public temperature is not for impeachment. It's also, you know, up against the Democrats a little bit, Bill, uh, saying don't go too far with investigations because already it's hard for Democrats to break through on other issues. And if that's all you're hearing about, then you say, well, we haven't attended to or the public perception, more importantly, is that you haven't attended to these bread and butter issues. And I'm going to give you a little stat here. This is to the moment as we're speaking right now. The House breakdown. There are 432 members of the House at this moment. There are three vacancies. We're going to have another one here in a couple couple days because they, they won a special election. Republicans did in Pennsylvania. The breakdown right now is uh, 432 members, 237 Democrats, 195 Republicans. There are 44, count them, members, 44 members, one of them is a Republican, Justin Amash from Michigan, who are for impeachment. That works out to 9.8%. 9.8%, not even 10%. So when you hear all this noise about impeachment, they are nowhere near that number. Bill, do you know what the number was in 1974 when the full House voted mm. to authorize the House Judiciary Committee you're, to launch an impeachment you're inquiry? You're looking for a percentage or a total it, Well, total number? throw a number at me, right? <laughs> whatever you want. <laughs> uh, I'd say it's 300. 410 to 4. Wow. 
So by way of contrast, that shows you where we are now compared to then. Now, things can change. You never know. And that's certainly what happened in 1973 and 74, that things really ramped up after the Saturday Night Massacre, where President Nixon uh, canned uh, the uh, special prosecutor, Archibald Cox, and then the Nixon tapes and the fight with Congress over subpoenas and Nixon tapes, uh, the Watergate tapes, that was a, a battle royale, and that kind of set the stage for impeachment. The public perception changed, and the vote in February of 1974 to authorize the investigation by the Judiciary Committee kind of reflected where the public was at that point. Yeah, we got a ways to go before that. Yes, absolutely. If we even get there. I felt last weekend or over Memorial Weekend that Republicans in the Senate were sending a pretty strong signal that if you want to go there, you can do it, but it's not going to go anywhere here. And then I think when Bob Mueller made his comments earlier in the week, Nancy Pelosi, I think she was at an event in California. And after Mueller's remarks, she said this. Nothing is off the table, but we do want to make such a compelling case, such an ironclad case that even uh, the uh, Republican Senate, which at the time seems to be not an objective jury, uh, will be convinced of the path that we have to take as a country. I would suggest, Chad, as of today, that's not possible. Right. Does it ever become that way? Well, and keep in mind that there have been 19 persons impeached in the history of the republic. Two presidents, uh, 15 judges, a senator, cabinet member, secretary of war in 1876. Only 16 times has the Senate had a trial, and only eight times have they convicted someone, someone who has been convicted to serving in the House right now, Alcee Hastings, who's a Democratic congressman from Florida, was was thrown off the federal bench and then won won election to the House. So in, in a successful impeachment of any sort is very rare. And part of the reason is that you need a two-thirds vote. Now, what Nancy Pelosi is signaling, if we can divine her words a bit here, is that she's telling her members, uh, we're willing to investigate, we're willing to probe. If, you fi- if we find something that gets us to that point where the political pressure is such that we clearly have the votes in the House and that we clearly have the votes in the Senate, two-thirds to convict and remove, then we will go down that path. That's what she's trying to say, Bill, without saying that. Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking about Bob Mueller this past week, as I'm sure you were as well, in that nine-minute statement he gave earlier in the week. What are you hearing about the possibility or not of him testifying? I'm, I'm hearing the winds blow in different ways. And what I'm hearing, Chad, is that Republicans might have some concerns for him testifying, but... Democrats might have some concerns with public testimony as well, suggesting that he may not say necessarily what each side thinks. What are you hearing? Well, that is the issue, because we don't really know what he thinks, and that maybe some people have frankly tried to overanalyze what his words were. And 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 you know see interpretations there and decode this in ways that he really wasn't intending. We we don't know. Um, you do have concerns from Republicans. You know the biggest issue right now. This is both why Democrats want to get him up here, and why Republicans don't, is that they want to square what the Mueller report says with what the interpretation was in the memorandum by Barr before the rest of the Mueller report was out. Now, to be clear, Mueller said that here's the four corners of my report and my testimony is the report. It's all in there. But people want to probe him about this interpretation 
Was this an edict from on high? You can't look at the president. Was this you just following orders and being a good soldier because you're an employee at the Justice Department? Uh, Those are the questions. And whether or not they would go to the mat to subpoena him, Jerry Nadler has left that door open. Again, keep in mind the issues that are kind of stacking up like airplanes, you know, at O'Hare right now, Bill. You know, we went from having a conversation just the other day about, well, maybe they need to subpoena Mueller. And what's unresolved is if and when the House, the full House, will vote to hold William Barr in contempt and the type of contempt they'll use. Does Congress carry this out on their own, which they haven't done in years and years and years? And maybe what they would do for Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, hold him in contempt, which would be at the committee level first. Mm. That's why I'm talking about the planes lining up, circling at O'Hare. These issues just keep lining up, and it's hard to, to sort through them. And the Democrats so far haven't made decisions on them. Why? I'll come back to what I said earlier about Nancy Pelosi. They don't know where the votes are yet. I want our listeners to hear this exchange. Jan Crawford's a reporter, covers the Department of Justice for CBS News. She had an interview with Bill Barr in Alaska, the attorney general, and it went like this. Well, I mean, he seemed to suggest yesterday that there was another venue for this, and that was Congress. Well, I'm not sure what he was suggesting, but, you know, the Department of Justice doesn't use our powers of investigating crimes as an adjunct to Congress. And, Chad, that takes us back to the original part of our conversation as to whether or not Mueller testifies, as to whether or not the House Democrats pursue impeachment. And that's probably even more of a reason why Democrats would like to see Mueller up here, because that might add to their case that there is distance real estate between what Barr is saying and what Mueller is saying, because here you have, you know, Barr being asked direct questions by CBS, and they feel that they need to ask some direct questions to Mueller. Over the last two weeks, I think this dynamic between Nancy Pelosi and President Trump has gotten rather interesting. That's to say, I, put yeah. it mildly. <laughs> How do you gauge that now? Uh, what is the state of that relationship? How would you characterize that? Well, it, it's kind of funny because back when the Democrats were in the minority in both the House and the Senate, it was pretty clear that the president seemed to prefer dealing with Nancy Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer compared to former House Speaker Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader. He just didn't find them as fun. You know, they would get into a meeting in the Oval Office mm-hmm. and, and Paul Ryan, you know, who's, who's known for his, his grasp of economic issues, would start talking about Laffer curves and GDP and things. And, and the president's eyes would just glaze, glaze over. And Mitch McConnell is known for having kind of a low key personality as well. So he would have more fun when Nancy Pelosi, when Chuck and Nancy would show up, you know, as it was called the Chuck and Nancy. Nancy show, right. you know, Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know, she's she's vigorous. So she's she speaks with her hands. She comes from an Italian background. Uh, you know, Schumer and, 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 and Trump, they go way back. You know, you would hear them talk. It was like listening to two guys sitting on at a bar in Atlantic Avenue debating the Mets or the Yankees or something. You know, they're New York guys, you know, so he would have more fun with them. Uh, now it's a little bit different that Nancy Pelosi is speaker. Until recently, the president never really spoke ill of the speaker or gave her a nickname. You might remember when she was trying to get the votes to successfully become speaker, that he even said that maybe he could phone in some favors with some Republican members and help pull her across the finish line. Most people found that hard to believe, but that is what the president said. Nancy Pelosi is pragmatic. She does not obviously like his conduct. She does not like how he comports himself, but she is willing to put everything else aside and deal with policy and legislation. And even if they have to work together with gritted teeth, think about the things that they have to deal with. They have to keep the government open again this fall. They are staring way in the face of, and this is completely undercovered, Bill, 
a gigantic debt ceiling crisis this summer, which could really, you know, send shockwaves through the stock market. What was the uh, deadline on that vote? Yeah, well, that we're we're under what we call extraordinary measures right now by the Treasury Department, meaning they start going through the couch cushions and and finding money under there to to keep us going. There's never quite a hard deadline. Uh, but the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, had indicated just here on Capitol Hill in the past few days at hearings that they have to have this address by the end of the summer. Okay. And so we're looking at August Some, or September. Yeah, sometimes that slides at the, the, the end of September, if memory yes. serves. Uh, you mentioned Justin Amash. He's a Republican from Michigan. He, he is... He's pretty much in Nancy Pelosi's camp with regards to the president right now. He's at a town hall earlier in the week, and there were many Trump supporters there and many of those who had questions for him. He was asked why he's still a Republican. And I think his answer, Chad, was, well, based on Michigan law, it makes it very difficult to run as an independent. What's going on with him? And how many do you believe, going back to an earlier answer from you, are in Justin Amash's camp? There's not many. I mean, Justin Amash is somebody who has always, you know, kind of, you know, marched to the beat of a different drummer. Uh, He is a libertarian at heart. Uh, He nearly single-handedly took down FISA a couple of years ago when they tried to reauthorize the domestic intelligence, uh, you know, foreign uh, surveillance, which is what FISA deals with, uh, which is ironic because had he been successful, maybe we wouldn't be talking about all these issues with Carter Page Mm -hmm. and dossiers and everything else. But that said, he teamed with a coalition of Republicans and lots of Democrats, and they came very close in 2014, uh, failing to reauthorize FISA. And it's because he wasn't aligning with party. He was saying that this is something that we shouldn't be doing, you know, under the Constitution. We shouldn't be be having this type of surveillance. Sounds like a, a Senator Rand Paul argument there. They're, they are they are very similar in their philosophies. In fact, I have seen uh, Justin Amash show up in the middle of the summer. I remember I was walking behind the Cannon Building and he was pulling out of the garage in his car, they had one of these abbreviated sessions, and he was there just to make sure that they didn't pass a bill by unanimous consent without anybody looking. He just wanted to kind of be on the floor and make sure they didn't try to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how Justin Amash is. So he's not going to get any help from the Republican Party uh, in his reelection. He could face a, a, a serious can, primary challenge. Can he challenge. drag any Republicans into his way of thinking when it comes to not yet post Mueller report? Not yet. Not yet. And that remains to be yeah. seen. There uh, are. How- Uh, How do you think uh, you've been there for a long time? I I don't know if people really appreciate the level of knowledge you have. Uh, Chad, I probably get 100 emails a day from you. (laughs) and They're all appreciated. I can't say I read every one of them, but they're all appreciated. Uh, How does Congress change when you have so many people running for the Democratic nomination? That's a big issue because, you know, we certainly have seen that before. Uh, with other people running, when you had Barack Obama running, Senator Obama at the time, um, you had Senator John McCain, but you have so many people. Uh, that, from but that both was sides just a, that building. was just a handful then. I mean, now yeah, it's, it's I mean, I mean, and what what happens is that you you don't give all of those people because there's not the bandwidth, the ability to, or that maybe the what they deserve because you're like, okay, I can't spend that much time on say Tim Ryan from Ohio or Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii. Granted, they're not doing as well in the polls as maybe Senator Kamala Harris from California or somebody else. And maybe that's why. Maybe if Tim Ryan was doing better in the polls or people, you know, he was having some impact somewhere, we would pay more attention to him. But when you're dealing with the Mueller report and impeachment and maybe the debt ceiling and White House meetings blowing up over infrastructure, 
you don't have a lot of time to deal with some of these other uh, second and third tier candidates who are running for president. I mean, again, there's only so many hours in the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, y- you know, I can do a lot of things at once. I can only be one place. At once. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it's changed. So Republicans would say that House Democrats haven't done anything since they've gotten the gavel. How far does that argument run? Well, they have passed some bills that were important to them, that they said that they would pass. So there was H.R. 1, which dealt with some election transparency issues. Uh, That's something that's important to to Democrats. Uh, There have been some minor health care things, which they have passed, which they said that they would do. That's important. But the big ticket stuff, infrastructure, and that's going to have to be bipartisan. Uh, They're nowhere near that. Uh, Working out an agreement on spending caps, uh, that's going to have to be bipartisan. And then you have these other issues which Democrats talk about, um, which never seem to get anywhere. Uh, they did do something on firearms early in the year. That's something, but it's not going to get through the Senate, and the president has no issue on that. That was something that never went anywhere uh, because the Republicans controlled controlled the Senate and the House. Uh, the other issue that, that, that kind of floats around out there is dealing with DACA and the Dreamers. Wow, do, you um, think that's po- po- do you think that's possible in this climate? I would say not right now, but it, but part of the reason here is that the Democrats have even brought that bill to the floor in the House, partly because they haven't all gotten on the same page yet. Uh, you bring bills up when you have the votes. The fact that they haven't brought it up yet tells me they don't have the votes. Curious to know in your your years of covering Congress, how do you rate this current period? Do you, do you compare it to anything? Absolutely. Um, you really have to dig back into history, and, and people sometimes are a nerd uh, to, to history or, or aren't sure what happened. And, you know, I have people who I talk with and even family members who say, oh, this is, is this the craziest you've ever seen it? And I always tell a story about when I first came to Washington, uh, I'd finished grad school and moved out here with no job. I'd worked in TV and radio in Cincinnati, as you well know, and when I was in high school and college. And I worked at C-SPAN. Brian Lamb was the founder of C-SPAN. And he used to have what they called lamb lunches, where he would take new employees to this uh, uh, restaurant just to, on the first floor where the C-SPAN building is, same, same place where the Fox Bureau is here on Capitol Hill. And we would go around the room. And now, this is late 1993, early 1994. And this was the point where Republicans were just starting to kind of get their hooks into President Clinton. Not with Whitewater, not, not, I'm sorry, not with Monica Lewinsky, but with the Whitewater investigation. And it was getting pretty hot. And I remember one of the new employees said to Brian Lamb, who worked uh, in the, for the Nixon administration and, and, and was around and during Vietnam and everything. And, he, and they said, oh, have you ever seen it like this before? And he said, none of you were here during Watergate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's always stuck with me, Bill, because I wasn't here during Watergate. You weren't here during Watergate. Right. I don't know what that was like. And then I have to point out things. People say, well, oh, come on. Well, Watergate was that, but, it, you know, was that a one-off? I'm like, well, you know, I always look at the John Tyler administration. Well, John Tyler was the vice president. William Henry Harrison dies in 30 days. So you go through three years and 11 months of the guy being president who nobody elected. And, in fact, when you look, Bill— like the number of filibusters, and think this is when the cabinet was like six or seven people compared mm-hmm. to what we have today. Tyler was 18 what? It was, this would have been 1841. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you go through the fact that three years and 11 months of the guy that even the Speaker of the House at the time didn't even recognize him as president at first because they we had never done the succession thing. So I would have loved to have been on Twitter back in 1841. <laughs> I bet you would have. 
What, what sort of reaction are you getting to Joe Biden's run for the nomination? That's going to be a mixed one because he doesn't have as much currency here on Capitol Hill because he hasn't been a member for a while. He was very present on Capitol Hill when he was vice president because he was a creature of this place. Uh, the way it was described to me, Bill, is that he is a soft front runner, and you're seeing some of that. The idea that nobody has as much name recognition as he does, nobody has as not, as much firepower as he does, even Bernie Sanders. But you know, when you serve in the Senate for as long as he did. You know, starting in the early 1970s, you're going to have a long track record. And this is where people are starting to dig up things from his past. Uh, we even hear about the, you know, he plagiarized the Neil Kinnock speech when he ran in 1988. Uh, I mean, the man ran for president in 1988. I mean, that yeah. tells you how far back. Well, what was, he, he, was he 29 when he was a senator for the first time? From well, Delaware? that was the thing. Yep, that was the issue. You know, he was actually elected. And uh, and he wasn't 30 yet under the Constitution, you see, so that, that was an issue. Yeah. But we've been hearing things about the crime bill they passed in 1994. He was the chair of the Judiciary Committee. He was chair of the Judiciary Committee when they dealt with the nomination of Clarence Thomas and, and Anita Hill's allegations came forth. So he has, for good or ill, a big track record. And the longer you're up here, you develop a long track record and people then can either use that to your benefit or to your detriment. Yeah, what you're saying, what you're describing is that there's a long way to go. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And you don't know who's going to step in it. You don't know who's going to catch fire at any given moment. I mean, there's such a long way to go. The one mm-hmm. thing that's clear and, you know, I mentioned some of these second and, and third tier candidates, mostly coming from from the House and the Senate. Some of them are going to start to fall away faster, sooner rather than later, because they're not going to have the money to, to wallow through. And then mm-hmm. the other thing that might happen is you might have somebody kind of spurt ahead because you have all these big name people beating on each other and somebody who's kind of just, you know, behind the pack somewhere. They're the one who who emerges. I mean, you see that in horse races and things. Sometimes you have, you know, two other horses way out in front and they tire out or something happens. And then, bam, the the guy who's kind of in the middle of the pack surges ahead because it's all about timing and luck, frankly. Just two more questions here, Chad, and I really appreciate your time. I know you work, you know, 24 seven up there on Capitol Hill. Um, Where are you right now? You're in the Senate audio booth. Where are you? Yeah, we have. So how it works up here on Capitol Hill, there are different what we call press galleries. So I cover both the House and the Senate, but I usually sit. I have my own small office on the House side in the House radio TV gallery. And I'm in the Senate radio TV gallery right now. And just the Fox News radio booth, which is to which I'm speaking to you from, that's up here in the Senate radio TV gallery. Just a, a few steps from the Senate floor. Why do you love your job? I learn yeah. Is that every, it? Is that every day when you go to your job, you learn something? Every day I come in here and I learn something. I, I in, in digging into the history of impeachment, uh, there have been things just the past few days I have learned. W- 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 and why do I need to learn it? Because you, you never know when it's going to come up. You know, so it's like it's it's preparation. That's part of it. Um, uh, you never know what you're going to need to lo- know about trade policy. Uh, you never know what you're going to need to know about a foreign you know, policy situation or geography or something like that. So it's that. The other part is that it's it's really fun. I'll give you an example. And I just thought about this the other day. You know, I, I mentioned mm-hmm. this bill that they've had trouble passing in the House of Representatives. And literally, my heart was beating a little fast. I, I looked, I was like, boy, why is my heart beating a little faster than it usually is? Because we didn't know, we thought that there was going to be a Republican who was going to come and object, but we didn't really know who. 
And the day before, it had been Chip Roy, a Republican congressman from Texas. And all of a sudden, I look up, and there, here comes Thomas Massey, Republican from Kentucky. And I, and it was like, you know, you don't know the outcome of these things. And so it's kind of exciting, you know, from, a, from that perspective. If they go in and pass the bill, you cover it, you write about it. But, you know, it, it, it passed. It, it's interesting. It's something we put on the air. It's something we put on online. We put on the radio. But we didn't really know the outcome. Well, as soon as Thomas Massey came around that corner, I knew I knew what the gig was. I knew what was going to happen. And five seconds before that, we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And as you know, Bill, I'm a big sports fan. It's like you're, you're sitting there waiting, you're watching a game, and all of a sudden something happens that you didn't expect. There's some great play or somebody pitches a no-hitter on an average you know, night in August or something. You never know. It's why you go to the ballpark. And mm-hmm. so I go to the ballpark here, the Capitol, every day expecting to learn something and usually see something I haven't seen before. And how many hours are you there, Chad? Well, because <laughs> it, it var- seems like you never go home. It varies. It, I mean, as I've often described it, it's the Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, <laughs> oh but you can God. never leave. Oh my But um, I tend to try to to be here when I feel I need to be here. Uh, if if something happens at you know nine forty five at night, there was a day a few days ago where Pelosi was leaving the building and myself and just a handful of other reporters felt like we needed to talk to her as she was leaving the building. It was 9.45 at night, and there was nobody else here. Um, that's the time. There have been times I've come in here at, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning, too, you know. Uh, you know, you have a recess week like we've been through where technically, from a very technical standpoint, the House and Senate have been out, but it's been active because you've had uh, Mueller giving his remarks, and you've also had the House of Representatives unsuccessfully heretofore trying to move this disaster relief bill yeah. and that's eaten up time it's not been the biggest issue but but you know something did i might you, not be uh, here and pay as much attention did you to. get something at nine forty-five at night from speaker pelosi absolutely i <laughs> asked her if i asked her if her caucus was divided and she said no we're we are together mm-hmm. so it was worth my yeah. while to stand at the door and wait all. for her to leave chad thank you so much really appreciate your time today as i said in the beginning no one knows congress better than you do well, you're very kind. Yeah. I, I appreciate those words, Bill, and enjoy working with you, and, and it was a lot of fun. Right, Thank I you. hope you come back soon. Chad Pergram covers Congress for the Fox News Channel. And, Chad, we will speak to you very soon. Thank you, Talk sir. Talk soon, Bill. Thank you, you bet. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.